Ron Oral, and you're listening to the Deals Activist Investing Today podcast. And I'm super excited to announce that I'm here with my favorite governance, activism, and Delaware law expert, Charles Elson, who is the director of the John L. Weinberg Center for Corporate Governance at the University of Delaware. Um, I think uh, Professor Elson is probably the most influential academic in the governance sphere, arguably the most important governance conference every year. And I love going to his annual flagship event. And uh, so thanks, Professor Elson, for taking a little time to chat with us. And thanks for that very kind and uh, very welcome introduction. <laughs> Thank you. And appreciate for it. So we're going to talk about some of the stuff that you and I talk to all the time about um, some of the hot uh, activist situations. And of course, uh, probably the most largest uh, proxy fight, direct election proxy fight of the year, at least in the US anyways, was third point Dan Loeb's proxy fight to, if you recall, initially was to take over the entire 12 person board of Campbell Soup's, uh, uh, Campbell Soup, the embattled soup and snack maker. So just a little bit of a little bit of context, he initially tried to take over the entire all 12 seats, then he reduced his slate down to five seats. Uh, he got ISS is the Institutional Shelter Service, the proxy advisor's recommendation for, for all five of the seats. The other proxy advisor, Glass Lewis, recommended for three out of five seats. Ultimately, yesterday it was settled literally three or four days in advance of the proxy contest, which was, uh, which was scheduled to come up this Thursday, uh, Thursday, November 29th. I don't know. The, so the way it was settled uh, is quite interesting. Uh, the, uh, Third Point got two directors on an expanded 14-person board. These were not people that work at Third Point. These are external, two external candidates that uh, Dan Loeb had uh, put on his slate. And there's a bunch of other kind of interesting things. But first, let's just get your overall opinion. Um, you know, we've talked about the fact that you know the descendants of John Dorrance, the the former CEO who was the inventor of the condensed milk uh, condensed soup formula. Uh, three descendants controlled 41% of the shares, and they had pledged to vote in favor of the incumbent slate. So against Dan Loeb's. Uh, so this was always a an uphill climb. For Dan Loeb. Are you surprised? Uh, I, I, I suspect you're probably not surprised with the way this, this played out. Or maybe you are surprised. I don't know. What did you think? So there, we could talk about some of the, the smaller provisions, but the basic amount was they, he got two seats and expanded 14-person board, and there's this provision that uh, he can kind of participate in picking a third person, but if you read the details of the uh, 8K, he really doesn't even have that ability. I'm not surprised at this at all. He had an uphill battle. I mean, I think he's very fortunate to have gotten what he got. Uh, if you think about it, look, 41% on the other side uh, made it very, very difficult for him, certainly to elect the entire board. And uh, honestly, to get five candidates would have been tough, even with the ISS and Glass-Lewis recommendation, it was going to be a tough fight because the other side, all only they had to pick up 9, 10, 9%, 10% of the other shareholders, and bingo, uh, he would have got nothing. So uh, I think for his purposes, this settlement is is a very smart one and a, and a, and a very fortunate one for him. Uh, he, while he doesn't get one of his representatives on the board, he does get two folks that uh, he selected because he felt they would be sympathetic with his position or his view of the company. And the fact that they're going on the board uh, is quite significant because I think it means that in the boardroom, you're going to have two rather different voices, independent voices of, of, of Campbell Soup and really, frankly, probably independent of him as well. Uh, I've been a, a, one of these uh, independent nominees before, and sometimes I agreed with the folks who put me there and sometimes I didn't after getting there. And, you know, that's but that's what 
the uh, your fellow shareholders want. And I think that that's what your fellow his fellow shareholders are going to get uh, our two uh, new voices. And we'll see what happens. Yeah, I agree with you as to the third voice. He probably won't have that much sway. Maybe he have some sort of a veto over who they pick. But my hope would be they pick someone uh, with experience, whether governance or uh, or uh, industry or something to add to the mix, <laughs> the soup, so to speak, of that of that board. <laughs> and uh, we'll 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 see what comes out of it. Uh, he'll have a little input on the pick of the new CEO. But look, he, he, he forced the company to re-examine dogma. And in that respect, he won. Uh, a, you got two new people. But in, in, in Campbell's fighting him, had to do some, uh, some real soul searching. And my suspicion is you'll see some changes in the way that companies won't run. Look, it's in the common interest of not only the Doran's descendants, but everybody, that the thing do well because their lifestyle certainly depends on it. They have a huge amount of stock. They live, obviously, uh, the dividends are very important to them. And the company's success is in their interest, as is in his interest or everyone's interest. So hopefully, they figure a way out of the problem in which they find themselves. And I think he's done a bit to uh, move them along in that process. I, so, I'm not surprised so, how it turned out. Okay. So a couple of things. Uh, one of the things he wanted initially was to have the company consider selling itself, you know, which is very common for active investors to want later kind of adjusted that to uh, maybe it should be break into two separate businesses. Uh, you know, it, it, uh, what do you think? Do you think that there's any likelihood of, of that happening um, in the, in the near term? Well, you got to remember, every company is for sale. It's just yeah. a question of the price, right? right. <laughs> Someone comes That's in and makes point. a ridiculous offer, they'll sell it. But I mean, like a uh, formal it, auction. It, it, it seems like it seems to me that a formal auction plot process is unlikely. Although I suspect he may have some input on the CEO. Well, you know, again, the family controls forty-one percent of the stock. Right. Are they at this point? Are they ready to throw in the towel, so to speak? And uh, and number two. Uh, splitting the company? Maybe they do. I mean, again, that's up to the new person who comes in to run the company. Right. The point now for them is getting a CEO with whom everyone has confidence. And I think that's really the key. And at that point, you revisit uh, where you are. Listen, a company is always evaluating itself, whether it should right. be split up or should stay unitary. That's part of a good board, part of a good management team. There's no asset remains stable. Listen, what was uh, considered dogma 10 years ago uh, today that basically doesn't exist. Uh, and, uh, you know, that's, uh, listen, look, look at the magazine industry. If you would have told me 20 years ago that our leading business magazines would be just a, a shell of their former selves, I would have said no way, <laughs> but they are, yeah. uh, there you have it. Who would have time thought changed. that you know, time Newsweek, us news and world report wouldn't exist as the, you know, as the great news magazines, rivals of one another, which had gone on for decades or, or Forbes fortune business week that that landscape has changed who would have predicted it same thing for soup yeah no that's true the soup industry is definitely one that is in uh, I guess uh, significant change I don't know how many people buy uh, the condensed soup that uh, started that uh, got this company going but um, okay so I wanted to ask you about the CEO there's some really what I thought were kind of interesting unusual provisions in the in the in the in the settlement related to picking the CEO and of course just for our audience a little bit of background the previous CEO uh, Denise Morrison stepped down in May um, after presiding over a period 
record of poor performance. A lot of institutional investors upset about the situation. Um, and the company had not brought in a new CEO, but they say that they, they have two executive search firms. They're going to hire someone by the year end. Personally, I think that that might be pushed back a little bit uh, as the new, seat, new, new directors get up to speed and, and this provision. So this is really interesting. So Campbell has agreed to share with ThirdPoint a list of its potential CEO candidates, as well as their qualifications, background experience. ThirdPoint will also have an opportunity to meet with a CEO candidate who the board believes is reasonably likely to be the finalist. So basically, whoever the board wants to be as their next, next CEO, they got to you know, let Dan Loeb and his third point guys meet with that person. And that, that, per, that meeting has to take place sufficiently advanced of a board vote on the nominee so the Actos Fund can provide feedback to the board. So let's say Dan Loeb doesn't like the candidate, he's then able to actually meet or talk to the board and tell them you know, why he doesn't like that candidate. Um, a lot of stuff there. Bottom line is, you know, the company doesn't really have to do anything. Uh, doesn't have to pick a candidate that Dan Loeb likes. Uh, doesn't have to, uh, you know, uh, doesn't have to respond to any of his negative feedback. But I, you know, what do you think that, that this this provision does? This provision, you think, give Dan Loeb some some leverage in in the selection of the CEO process because he's able to meet and express his concerns, or or you think this is just a lot of you know smoke? No, I think it gives him I gave him a lot of leverage because if the CEO candidate has to meet with Dan Loeb and Dan Loeb makes it very clear he doesn't like the CEO candidate, who in their right mind would take a job <laughs> knowing that a 7% shareholder is going to be making your life miserable for the next several months? In That's other words, yeah, it actually he has quite a bit of power. It's not the power to pick, it's the power to veto, which in this case would be, I think, reasonably significant. And there's, I got to bring this up because I just thought this was amusing. I don't know. You probably don't, didn't, I don't know if you th might think it's amusing too, but so one last thing is also, and I think this also is a factor that leverages you're talking about, is that once the CEO is installed, over the following 12 months, Dan Loeb gets an opportunity to meet twice with that CEO and also meet separately twice with the board, or this is over the, the, the upcoming 12 months, um, and that each of those meetings can be no less than 60 minutes long. So this, uh, no... 15-minute meet and greet for uh, Dan Dan Loeb when he comes in the door to to uh, meet with the CEO. Uh, anyways, I don't know. I don't know if you have any thoughts on that. I just thought it was an amusing addition that they specified that the le the meeting has to, has to be at least 60 minutes long. I've never seen that before. Uh, no, that, that that that's interesting. Well, I guess the question is, does the candidate come in and start uh, singing a song for twenty minutes? <laughs> Are they slow in bringing in the coffee? <laughs> it's kind of funny. There's an old saying in the in the admissions business: the thicker the folder, the thicker the candidate. You know, yeah. <laughs> you have to right. lay out sixty minutes. I mean, who knows? That is that is kind of kind of funny. Well, I guess he wants to assure himself that it's a real discussion. Yeah. Again, uh, you know, he can make it make life pretty tough if he doesn't isn't happy with what's going on. And yeah, they realize that. But again, hopefully they'll all be uh, work together to come up with the uh, right solution to this thing. It's look, it's in his interest, their interest to pick the right person uh, ultimately. And so that they have a commonality there. And the question is, can they work together to achieve that? And I would suppose the answer is yes. Again, it's going to affect who you get. Because very few people want to walk in as a new CEO to a mess. And uh, right. this has the, you know, it, it, should he object, this would have the, uh, the, all the elements of a mess. Uh, it makes so you, you have wonder. to pay the person a lot more to do it. 
<laughs> right, yeah, it's possible. Yeah, it makes you wonder whether Dan Loeb has had uh, 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 particularly short meetings with other CEOs of companies that have just ushered him in and out the door. Wants to make sure it's a 60-minute meeting at least. Okay, all right. I wanted to talk to you about another, uh, uh, what I think is kind of one of the other big kind of fascinating uh, activist campaign situations uh, that emerges here, and that's Dell. And we've talked about Dell before, at least maybe two or three times. Um, earlier this month, Dell Technologies raised its offer to buy back shares tied to its tracking stock in software maker VMware to $120 a share, or $23.9 billion. This prompted Carl Icahn to drop a lawsuit he had in Delaware against the technology firm. And Icon had been seeking to let the outside shareholders, these are the Class C shareholders, shares, to uh, vote to elect uh, at least three directors. He'd been here, a letter pushing for that. Um, instead, the company said that, uh, Dell said that they would let the Class C shareholders elect one person to the board, uh, and that person will be, uh, will be nominated by the nomination governance committee. Of course, the rest of the board, which by the way, can be increased to as many as 20 directors, um, it's not, I don't think it'll, it'll initially be 20 directors, but it could be increased to 20 directors, will be elected predominantly by the Class A and Class B shareholders, which are basically the uh, Dell's founder, Michael Dell, and his uh, compadre at uh, private equity firm Silver Lake. Um, so I guess my, so okay, and then there's a provision in the, in the, in the uh, amended charter of the business that said that uh, basically Class A and Class B, so Michael Dell, and um, Silver Lake can convert their positions into Class C shares if they wanted to at some point down the road. So this, they could dilute the Class C shares. So, you know, this seems to me like it make, would make it impossible for anyone, for example, Carl Icahn to run a proxy contest to nominate a director to go up against the incumbent director uh, that is this Class C director. Um, so, okay, so uh, uh, putting that uh, out there, Professor uh, 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 Allison, tell me what you, what you, what is, what, from a governance perspective, you know, what are your thoughts on this Dell structure and this, uh, this new IPO that's coming and uh, what rights, you know, what, what rights do outside shareholders really have here? Uh, in two words, practically none, okay. <laughs> very little, okay, very uh, little look, you know, the right to elect one director, you know, look, I, I've always thought that if you have a really good voice in a boardroom, even one person can really make a difference. I, I discovered that as a dissident a number of times that, you know, even one voice articulately and respectfully, uh, arguing can, uh, you know, really accomplish a great deal, but that's dependent on the fact that the other directors, are really independent uh, and, and looking at the situation independently. Uh, you know, you may have come from management, uh, be a management appointee or, you know, or, or, or close to a retainee, but if you're an honest person, you, you'll work it through. Uh, my concern here is that because of the structure, management decides who does go on the board and who doesn't. I, I'll have the power to appoint and the power, obviously, in their candidates remove that it's going to be really hard to get an independent objective group who can really affect 
change if that one director, you know, uh, agitates for some kind of change. Uh, they, they'll simply get replaced. The more troubling thing is that one director is coming from from the uh, control group anyway. They nominate that person, so the odds of getting someone really independent are slim. And you, I think you're right. If there, if there was to be ever a proxy fight, it would be almost impossible. I mean, I think this is a situation where the the rights of the other shareholders, uh, given the structure. Are pretty are pretty limited vis-a-vis their electoral rights, and uh, I think that from a government standpoint, that uh, is a really significant concern. I mean, you know, you're basically buying in with basically no voice, almost no voice at all, and that's a uh, that's a real problem. Of course, that when you know Dell originally went private, the argument was that well, I you know I uh, I, I don't you know I, I don't want to be beholden to the street, so to speak, and I want to be able to do things on, on, on you know without that kind of uh, you know that kind of uh, voice, if you will. Again, I'm, not, I'm, I'm paraphrasing, but that's mm-hmm. why companies are private, uh, and effectively you're going public, but effectively remaining private, and that's uh, from a government standpoint is concerning because you know having the votes of others and listening to the voice of others helps one, in my view, uh, avoid their own mistakes. Uh, that that to suggest that uh, a person to suggest that they had the only way and others' views are really uh, ill-informed isn't isn't helpful. Helpful in the long term. Uh, and that, that this is the view of that a lot of folks in the dual class companies and the, and and, and, and uh, companies that have you know exited public shareholders, mainly dual class companies who have voiced for a long time. Uh, that I know more than they do, and and I, I I'm happy to take their money. I don't want to hear their voice. And I think that that this is sort of a sort of a, a situation that is similar to that. And that's, that's, that's concerning, in my view, from a government standpoint. And frankly, from just how you run the business, I think hearing other voices and listening to other voices is helpful. Uh, good managers uh, listen to uh, folks from all, all, all sorts of uh, areas. And I think that uh, this kind of structure makes that very difficult to do. So let me just, uh, just for our, for our listening audience, uh, in, in case you're not that familiar, so the dual class structures are essentially, um, uh, these are companies where insiders or founders often uh, uh, control a majority of the vote, but maybe they own much less of the equity. For example, Mark Zuckerberg uh, owns about, has about 60% of the vote at Facebook and owns something in the neighborhood of, I guess, under 15% of the equity. Um, and uh, of course, Dell is kind of a classic example of that. One of the things that people have discussed as a possible compromise idea, um, you know, I know a lot of technology companies in particular don't like to go public yeah, with the traditional one share, one vote structure is because they're worried that an activist such as like Elliott Management or someone like that could come in and uh, pressure the company to be sold very quickly. They want to, you know, remain independent and be public for a while. Uh, 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 but one of the compromises as the people have suggested to me is a uh, sunset structure. And some companies are going public now with a sunset structure, which essentially means that the dual class share structure, giving insiders or founders control of the vote, essentially goes away after a period of time, say seven years or 10 years or some period of time, but not that uh, it doesn't go on forever. And, uh, you know, people always look at the Viacom situation with Sumner Redstone uh, being still in charge of kind of a difficult of a a company uh, as a kind of example of what can go wrong uh, when insiders control the vote of a company for decades. Um, So anyways, what do you think about the 
the the sunset structure idea and um, you know is it something you think that maybe the, even the NYC and the uh, NASDAQ should consider as a listing requirement I think the sunset provision is better. Listen, I don't agree with the structure at all. Whether it's year one or year ten, okay. uh, I think you need a, you need accountability. However, if you're going to uh, if if one way to sort of rid us of the structure is to agree to a sunset, then I'm happy to see a sunset. The question is, you know, are, are suddenly uh, you know are, are you are you really devoid? Of, is it good to be devoid of accountability in years one to seven? On the other hand, if that's what it takes to get rid of the structure, uh, I'm all for it. So I, I would support a sunset uh, again. And there are companies that have done it, and I think it's the right thing to do. The big question is, in year seven, will they actually sunset it, or will they right. simply vote to extend it for another seven years? Right, it's always right. easy to say seven years down the road, we'll get rid of it. But when push comes to shove, will they, in fact, do it? Uh, will they? Is the sunset provision enforceable? That's yeah. frankly why, while I, I think it's better than nothing, I'd rather rid ourselves of the structure entirely because I think it leads ultimately to bad results for everybody. Okay, well, you've been listening to Charles Elson, uh, our Delaware governance and activism expert at the uh, University of Delaware. And thank you so much for taking the time to speak with us, uh, Professor Elson. Ron, as always, it was good, good, good speaking with you. And we are doing it again. Okay, absolutely. Yeah, 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 come back on the show anytime. And thanks a lot. And that's, we're out. <laughs> <laughs>